It has been said we can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without oxygen, but only a few seconds without hope. Hope is a spiritual instinct that assures us God is the one who writes the final chapter of any story in our life. Without this anchor of our soul, when the waters of trials begin to rise, we will drown before we ever discover we have the ability to swim. In this episode, we will talk about the renaissance of hope and bring prophetic encouragement along with the most amazing up close heart to heart with Cindy Jacobs. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight under real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey, what's going on? This is Jamil Stell. I help lead an incredible ministry called Central Valley Chi Alpha. We have a college ministry on four different campuses. Man, I enjoy listening to this podcast. It's so amazing. Sean and Krista Smith keep it so relevant, keep it so real, keep it so revelatory. I know every time I listen to this podcast, it's like having a personal one-on-one with Sean and Krista Smith. I pray that you be blessed and that you grow and mature in your supernatural identity as you listen to this podcast. Hey, what's up, Keep It 100 people? Hey, everybody. Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Krista. And we are coming at you this week on our podcast, super excited about some thoughts we have on this whole theme of Renaissance of Hope. I'm so excited about it. Dr. King made this quote, if you lose hope, somehow you lose the vitality that keeps life moving. You lose that courage to be that quality that helps you go on in spite of it all. We really need it because this has been a tough week with the tragic conflict and incident that took place in Kenosha, Wisconsin, involving policemen, African-American, Jacob Blake, and just the ramifications of what that means to that man, his family, what it means to us as a nation. It's just kind of makes your heart sick because we so want to strive to become what God wants us to be as a nation. It seems like in many respects, we keep getting tripped up over this thing of racism and it's, we know that there is an answer. Yes. We also know that there has been hurricanes. So Hurricane Laura has hit the borders of Louisiana and Texas and it's released grade four level hurricane. So true. And you know, then I'm thinking of all moms and dads that are having to rearrange their whole lives. Now they're teachers. For all the kids that aren't going back to school, they're now doing homeschooling. And so everything has shifted. Worlds have turned upside down. And there is just a stress. And there is an overwhelming where you can just feel people just cowering in the, under the pressure of today. And at the same time, we're entering into that election time where you can see the vitriol and the situations where people are getting really petty in many respects in social media. It's almost like our our sixth episode where we talked about clapback, casting shade and criticism. Right. And as I've just saw online, even things not relating to the election, I've just seen different people post and all of a sudden people twist what they say and just attack them on social media and people that I love. And I just go, that's not them. That's not their heart. What is going on where there's that level of animosity? So true. Like you said at the beginning, we're titling this episode, the Renaissance of hope, because everything we're talking about, we need to have a collision with hope once again. This is so important because real hope arises precisely in these moments When hopelessness and despair seems most likely, it's in those moments that God brings real hope. I love that. You have a revelation of what God is saying in this season. 
I feel like it's been really a heavy time. And so I've just been seeking God. I've just been like, God, what are you saying in the midst of this? We need to hear you. We don't need just another opinion. We need to hear your word, Lord. And I heard the Lord begin to remind me of Elijah. We read about this in, in 1 Kings 18 and 19. And here's in the midst of a famine time. For three years, the prophets have been quiet. And then God finds Elijah and he says, go to Ahab and challenge the false prophets. And it's time to declare once and for all who is the one true God. And so Elijah does this. He goes and he challenges and there's this incredible display of the power of God because the false prophets, of course, called on their false God. And of course he didn't show up because he's dead. And so Elijah calls on the one true God and God shows up and Elijah defeats the false prophets of Baal. And it's this incredible display of the power of God, right? So in this major Mount Carmel, incredible moment within 24 hours, he's fleeing for his life. And he's fleeing for his life because Jezebel got word of what happened. And she said, I'm going to kill you. So here's this powerful man of God who just walked in the greatest authority. And then with one false accusation and one lie, once again, from Jezebel, like, I'm going to kill you. He goes and flees for his life and he's afraid and he runs to a cave. And God brought me there to this portion of scripture and I, that Elijah, this powerful man of God was hiding and he was afraid for his life. And this is a guy who just saw God come through in the most powerful way. And God asked Elijah this question. It's the same question I think he is asking all of us right now. And he's like, what are you doing here? Meaning, what are you doing in the cave, Elijah? I didn't call you to the cave. I called you to oppose the darkness. I didn't call you to hide from the darkness. That's good. And I felt like we've been in a bit of a cave and the cave looks like stress. The cave looks like anger. The cave looks like uh, depression. It looks like being overwhelmed. It looks like accusation. It's just like these caves that we find ourselves in. And for some of us, it's just like we've almost wanted to hide because it's felt so intense. It's felt so heavy. And I felt like God's like, no, 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 this is not the time to hide. This is the time to stand and declare. And when Elijah came out of the cave, he said a very interesting statement. He's like, like, God, I'm the only one that's still standing. I'm the only one that's still worshiping you. They all tore down your, your altars. They don't worship you. They broke covenant with you. I'm the only one that's still worshiping you. And God's like, actually, in 1 Kings 19, 18, he says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And what God was saying in that moment to Elijah was, you're not alone. And 7,000 is enough to do what I have planned to do. And it was really cool because a couple of weeks ago, we were at a service with Cindy and she whips out the same portion of scripture. And it was exactly what I heard the Lord say. And I just love the way she said it because she just declared 7,000 is enough for God to do what he's going to do. And I just want to release that hope over you. Because I felt like when I was brought to that portion of scripture, my heavy heart had a collision with hope. Mm. My heavy heart needed to be reawakened. That it's not about everyone being exactly in alignment with God. God's like, 7,000 is enough. I'm bringing hope and get out of the cave and get back in position. And the last thing that I felt like the Lord said to me that I want to share with you today, because again, I want this word to release a hope to you. This is about a renaissance of hope in the midst of darkness. And that was this, that God told Elijah, I'm not done yet. I need you to still go anoint Jehu's going to be the next king who will ultimately defeat Jezebel's house. And 
then I need you to go anoint Elisha, who's going to replace you as the prophet. And there was a double portion that Elijah had to give to the next generation. And I feel like God's like, come on, you're not done living out who I've called you to be. You're not done releasing the portion that I've called your life to release. There is still a life to be lived. And we are in such uncertain times, but please let us not lose sight that God still has a story and a narrative that he is writing and it is full of hope because if God is writing our story, and he is, he is writing the story that it is full of hope. And I just feel like even right now, let us be like an Elijah and get back in position. I think that's so powerful. And one of the things that I believe that you've really communicated is that Elijah came on the scene out of Tishbe, which means captivity. So he came out of captivity to begin Ooh, with. Yeah. And then after Jezebel unleashed what she unleashed, he went back into a level of captivity. Mm. But what God gave him in that moment was a renaissance of hope. And the reason why that's important is that we always need a full perspective of what God is doing in our generation. So and good. that's what the revelation of the 7,000 and the people he was supposed to anoint yes. who would take down Jezebel, that was so powerful. Keep your 100 tribe. I can't believe the moment we're about to have. This amazing general has authored nine books that has been translated into 30 languages. She has spoken over a hundred nations. She has prophesied and prayed with world leaders and has been a pioneer in the prophetic ministry and the prayer movement. She is also a champion of women. I want you to welcome to Keep It 100, Mama Cindy Jacobs. We're super excited to have you here, Cindy. Thanks so much for just taking time and just talking with us. To have you here on Give It 100 is such a privilege because not only have you impacted Sean and I's life so deeply and personally, you've impacted millions of people. And again, we're just reminded of when you say yes to God, it's amazing how he'll bring people in your path uh, just to constantly remind you of what you've imparted and how it's impacted so many people more than you'll ever know, right? There was such God synergy that we had today. You know, we came to pray over the Bay Area, California, where you all live, yeah. my husband Mike and I, and we just felt we needed to pray racial equity, a lot of things we were praying in the Bay, and it was so good. Yeah, and so we've just kept walking into one supernatural encounter That's after right. the other. Well, it was amazing, wasn't it? It's awesome. I love it. We just saw like the God winks and God kisses mm -hmm. throughout the whole mm -hmm. day. But I just love... That's what your life's been full of, right? I mean, we, we've been sharing stories and just hearing your stories, but through the years, especially you and Sean, you know, have known each other for years. And I, you've discipled me from afar, but through Mary and Sean, I've gotten to know you more, which has been such a privilege. And that's so you know? true, Mama Cindy, from the first time you prophesied over me in yeah. 96. But from that point on, just, it seems like every year I've just had more and more opportunities to see what a blessing you are. Yeah. So I'm so excited. So we're going to dive right in this. Yeah. So Mama Cindy, the first question, what were your early prophetic experiences as a child to help you blossom into the prophetic minister that you are today? You know, what's really interesting because when you're in the moment, it doesn't seem so supernatural when you're doing these things, right. but it just happens and it's just, you know, then later on you look back and go, oh my God goodness, I can't believe I said that or whatever. My first time was when I was four. I'll never forget, uh, we were in Fort Worth, Texas. My dad was graduating from seminary there, and my parents had decided they weren't having any more children. 
You know, it was just my brother and I. That was enough. And so I remember distinctly, you know, where I was standing. And I looked at my mother and I said, I'm going to have a little baby sister. Wow. Yeah, can you imagine? Four years old. And my mother looks at me in that maternalistic way moms do. And, you know, they're just like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> right, right. sweetheart, you know what you're talking She's about. She's like, shh. Yeah, like, I, she wants to let me down easy, right? right you know? Right. And so she says, no, honey, you are the last one. Well, she was pregnant with my little sister. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And wow. she didn't know she was wow. pregnant. You know, I always used to tell my little sister, hey, I, you could have been rejected feeling, you know, but I prepared the way for you. You owe me lots, you know, <laughs> chocolates, all kinds of big sister. Right. I remember when I was 12, I started having all these dreams of hell. Night after night, it was crazy. Like, I would see people's flesh, like, burning off them and then oh coming my. back on them again. You know, just over and over, and I'd hear their screams. Whoa. And I never even told my parents. I remember it was just like something God and me. And from that day, I knew hell was real. Mm. And I didn't want anybody to go there. Wow. You know, and I just determined to the best of my ability, whoever I saw, somehow I was going to reach out to them and let them know about the love of Christ. Hmm. That's so powerful. Yeah. So I would just have these moments or people would call and I'd say, oh, so-and-so just died. I mean, when the phone was ringing. Wow. <laughs> my was goodness. A strange child. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your parents were like, who is this child? Yeah. But they obviously had to have seen on you a special touch from the Lord. Yeah, but, you know, we, we were Baptists. We had mm. no grid for this kind of strange behavior. I remember preaching this little country church in Texas. And I was preaching about good old boys coming to church on Sunday, partying the rest of the week, you know. Good old boy. Yeah. And I I looked at this cowboy and I said, you know, you've got a keg in the back of your truck. And, you know, you've just been doing a keg party and like here you are. This guy, I mean, he had a come to Jesus moment. Wow. So, and he really dramatically got changed. Wow. Yeah. Put the fear of the Lord in him. And what I love too, Mama Cindy, is that you've been a pioneer in the in the prophetic movement. Mm-hmm. I know this about you because I've been around you. Even in, we had probably about four different divine appointments where you prayed and witness to people on the streets. And a lot of times, you know, what's so refreshing is you see people that they'll exercise their gift in front of thousands, but they're too busy or occupied in the day to day. And it's like, I was touched in my heart the way you just throughout this day, just ministered to people on the street. And it was really powerful. Second question I want to ask you is what has God been speaking to you about this season or the season we're about to enter into? I know there are a lot of listeners that really feel a bit confused as to what God is saying. Well, you all know that God gave this group of prophets, we meet with this word reset, and God meant it. I'm going to reset the globe. How big is God? So, you know, whether some people say, oh, this is a judgment from God or what, I, I just tend to think God is saying, like, think about your life. If you think you have everything worked out, you know, all of us kind of feel like that. We don't realize how we just kind of get it going and we think right. we're, we're doing this for God. And then he just like screeches to a halt. And so he is calling us to reset our life. Mm-hmm. We we're talking about meeting people on the street. I was thinking about Zacchaeus. God reset Zacchaeus' life. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes in, Luke 19, and he 
first of all, he does the prophet thing. He looks up and he's got this guy's name. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, the worst sinner, the chief tax collector, the one who stole everybody's money. And he's up in the street. And the first thing Jesus says, come on now, I'm going to stay in your house. But somehow that was what Zacchaeus needed. Right. You know, so Jesus didn't say, come down here. You know, fire's going to call from heaven if you don't repent. Get on your knees right now. You know, Jesus called his name. He knew him. Wow. He knew him. Come on. And so what happened? There's this Bible verse I love, guys. The kindness Mm. of God leads us to repent. Yeah. I always tell people, if you're going to prophesy, prophesy to the wilderness in somebody's soul. Mm. That thing they need to know. Uh, We were prophesying over a precious young man today. And, you know, it was just so refreshing. And he started to tell me his story, the racism, you know, that he suffered in Georgia. God stopped everything. And then at that same moment, we were just felt like we should go in and look at these houses or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's when this lady came out. We just said, well, can we pray for you too? And all of a sudden she recognized me. Her mother had just sent her a word that I gave over Bolivia that was a real change agent. That's so crazy. For that nation. I mean, like today she got that. Mm. And of all the places in the East Bay area, we go there. Wow. Come on. Right. God collided us together with his love and mercy. And I just want to say to you listeners, this is that kind of moment for you. I mean, we're sitting here in the studio and I feel the presence of God. You know, right now it's like, it is not by chance you are listening right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you're suicidal. You know, whatever is going on. God knows what's going on. Yes, he does. He cares about what's going on. I mean, just like he led us, tell him, Sean, tell him about like when we prayed on Berkeley mm-hmm. and then what happened after that, because that's so good. To, this happened to us today, guys. <laughs> we walked UC Berkeley. Anyone that knows the history of UC Berkeley knows it's it's been a leading liberal voice, not always for positive things. And so as we got finished praying, we happened to turn and walk and about five Christian students walked up to us and wanted to take a survey and that for us to be able to pray with them, encourage them. Mama Cindy had prophetic words over all of them. They were blown away, but it was just incredible. And then we go right from there to a guy that's obviously down on his luck, uh, that's on the side of the curb. And Mama Cindy reaches out to him. We end up buying this guy some food and feeding him. And this guy was grateful. And all this, this is really, anyone that knows Berkeley knows those are the two worlds that must collide. That young Christian voice and the fact that there has been such a need in that city. Mm-hmm. And then we pray there as it relates to kind of the roots, beliefs, and drug addiction, and even the witchcraft. Uh, so it was profound today. Uh, you know, I, I love what you said, that the kindness of the Lord brings us to repentance. It's probably one of my favorite verses as well, because I feel like, you know, there's everyone has different experiences as to how they've come to God. And many people have experienced almost a shame And from their past decisions or their choices they've made, there's a shame that they have found themselves back to God, uh, but they haven't experienced the freedom of the Lord. But I believe it's the kindness that keeps us, right? Because you can have a moment where you feel bad and ashamed, and obviously shame is not from God. Shame's from the enemy, for there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? There's conviction, 
to turn away from our sins, but the condemnation doesn't come from God, but yet people stay in that place because they haven't experienced the kindness. And what I love, Cindy, that you bring as a prophet is the kindness of God. Because I was exposed to prophetic voices growing up that were not a lot. It often exposed people where you felt like as a person, oh, dear God, don't let the prophet call me out. Because there was maybe an unintentional shame that got released because you didn't know if your stuff was going to get called out. We're all imperfect. What I love about your gift, and maybe you can speak to that, how did you come to the revelation of speaking to the wilderness? And how did you come to the revelation of the kindness of the Lord in the, as a prophet? Well, I think your brokenness. You know, I just, I saw a lot of stuff growing up in the church. Yeah. And it was, it was painful. Yeah, I remember one time, I'm going to say this publicly, the Women's Missionary Union voted I should break up with my Catholic boyfriend. I mean, wow. they actually had an actual vote. Oh you know, my. my dad's telling me, you know, he's a pastor. He's, he didn't make me break up with him, but uh, I want you to know that the Women's Missionary Union had a vote today that you should break up with Joe. And I could have gotten really bitter or just think the church were all hypocrites. But I think it was because of my daddy, you know, my mm-hmm. mom, kind of mm-hmm. the life they lived. I knew better than that. Mm-hmm. I knew it just just needed to make me love more. You know, can you love the unlovely? Yeah. The Bible says it's easy to love those who love you. But the Bible says, like, love your enemies. Mm. Do good to those right. people, you know, essentially, or despitefully use you kind of. They treat you really bad. Mm-hmm. And then who are you then? But I get back to the story of Zacchaeus out of Luke 19. After Jesus said, I'm going to stay with you. I mean, this no self-respecting rabbi, we, you know, a biblical scholar would tell you would ever go to the home of someone like this chief tax collector. Right. But it caused, because of Zacchaeus' influence, and, and I mean, Jericho was a, an amazing commercial city at that time. The caravans would come through, have to pay a tax, you know, before they go into Jerusalem. It also helped eradicate poverty. He said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Wow. Yeah. Imagine. That was a lot of wealth. So you think about that. You think about how many people, you know, maybe you're listening and your opinion of Christians is not very high. Well, I don't blame you for that. But the point is, when you totally fall in love with Jesus, that's right. you're not going to be a bad actor. You know, you're not going to be one of these, you know, I'm ready to tell you you're going to hell next. Right. True. But that doesn't make you, you know, feel loved by God. Yes. Right. Right. You know, it's so true. You know, when I gave my life to Christ, it was in that moment that knowing I had come out of this immorality, but the first thing Jesus says to me when he shows in my room, I'll be a father to the fatherless. Mm -hmm. And there was no other thing he could say to me. He, he had me completely. He could have asked anything of me in that moment. And I was willing to do it. And it was a dramatic shift. But you're right in the kind of the grand psychology, if you will, of, of the Godhead to exercise kindness and love when kind of like you should be taken out to the tool shed (laughs) causes, I think, a heart to awaken with this appreciation (laughs) that I think of everything I do now as part of a way, a a meager attempt of saying thank you to a God that had mercy on me. (laughs) And I love what you said because there is a hashtag church hurt movement. A lot of people, you you grew up in a church as a a PK. There's a lot of kids that have grown up like that. (laughs) And because they've got hurt and wounded, They've left, but I think what gets 
overlooked in that moment is how much mercy God has had on you. And people, they'll let us down, but Jesus never has. And I always say, hey, if Jesus was the reason you went to church, you shouldn't let any man be the reason why you leave the church. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, Ooh, that's so, good. so good. That's so good. Wow. You know, today we went to where the Black Panthers got their start. You, you maybe can't tell, you know, because you can't see Sean and Krista, but he's black and she's white. And of course, his his history in this area, his father was shot to death through racist police, essentially. So if anybody, you know, could really be bitter. He, but so we're studying about one of the founders of the Black Panthers, about this guy, Huey Newton. So we went to the, where the original headquarters was, but we were studying about this guy, Huey. He was brilliant. I mean, he couldn't Incredible. even read when he graduated from high school. And he taught himself to read. I mean, graduated from college. And then I was just broken thinking, we lost Huey. Yes. You know, we lost him. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you could have been one of those, Sean. Yes. You, mm-hmm. you, had, you had a right, like in the natural and so we're going around, we were looking, you know, where you grew up and, you know. We went to the hood, y'all. Yeah, where Tony's liquor store was and, you know, yes. you know, I mean, we're, yeah, yeah. The, the hood, you yeah. know. And I'm just thinking, you could have been Huey Newton, mm. like with the Black Panthers. You could have been that guy. But God reached out to you. Yes. You know, I, we just want to reach out to you. Um, yes. whoever is listening, uh, yeah. I just right now, I want to say to you, God loves you. You may, you know, who knows? You might be the one that's listening. You have a right to be mad, but this is God just saying, Hey, I love you. I, I'm not like those people that mm-hmm. did that. You know, there's a lot of haters in the world, right? Mm-hmm. But, I just thought today was a whole redemptive journey. It was so amazing. I love that. You know, I think you look at life and there's so many people that God shows himself to them. And then yet they experience the hypocrisy in the church and they connect what they're seeing through people to be God. And when you have a personal encounter, God allows that experience with people that is so hypocritical and disappointing to be erased. But until that encounter happens, so many people keep that hypocritical viewpoint of that's God. Mm. And I think as a prophetic voice, there's such a, I feel like more than ever, responsibility to a hurting, broken world that wants there to be a God. They want to believe in God. I believe there is a group of people that are like, I've seen so much hypocrisy. I've been so disappointed. I don't like the circumstances in my life. There's no way God, if there is a God, he could even care about me. But I just want to speak to listeners and say, um, I feel like God's going to actually encounter you even as you listen to this podcast right now, that you might feel forgotten or experienced with people that have called themselves Christians have been so contradicting to a God that others have preached about. You haven't experienced that God. And I feel like God is going in a great way, sending prophets, sending evangelists, sending his disciples that are so overcome with the love of God and the kindness of God. They're breaking the shame of hypocrisy and they're, and they're bringing the message of redemption and hope. And I feel like people are like, what in the heck's going on? Everything feels unsettled. And I feel like God's like, he didn't send COVID. Absolutely not. Um, God hates racism. Racism is demonic. It's evil. 
And yet I'm seeing God move through all of it, through all the junk. And I feel like he's encountering people in such a beautiful way right now of bringing hope, bringing redemption, bringing restoration um, in a time of stillness and a time of unpredictability. We're seeing God use people to bring a new message of redemption to his people. And I feel like uh, you, Cindy, is one of those redemptive prophetic gifts, speaking hope into the wilderness, speaking hope into the valleys. And nationally, we're in a valley. Worldwide, we're in a valley right now. What would you say just prophetically as a prophet to the valley of America right now? God's trying to marriage what we call righteousness and justice right now. One side just saying, well... Can't you see the injustice? You know, are you so blind? You know, we're hurting. Other people are hurting. And especially, I think you remember, uh, Sean, one time I preached a message called the Justice League. Yes. You know, and, uh, you know, I said, like, well, where are the Wonder Women of today? You know, yeah. whatever. That was crazy. I love that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Like, and I'm going to the youth, you know, like, which one of you, you know, wore a red cape and tried to fly around when you were little and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, you did. <laughs> totally. The Wonder Woman t-shirt. Yeah, anyway, I want to say to you, God is working something so deep into your heart right now. He is your stability. He is with you in changing times. And I feel like even with me, God was digging so deep in my human soul. What makes you feel okay? Mm. And I want to say to you that you are okay. And right now in this time, we're at a hinge of history. We're at a hinge of civilization in the United States. I mean, we're either going to go down into an abyss economically in every which way. And that includes race relationship wise, you know, so we, but you know, we've got, we've got to get the justice, but we've got to see the righteousness. We have to have a holiness movement too. Yes. And marry the two. And I believe there is a marriage of righteousness and justice, Psalm 89, 14. You know, I, I, I listen to some of the white Republicans, you know, and they're just saying, well, this isn't right and this is right. Come on, this is, can't you see? Can't you see? But there are people that are hurting and there's a lot of pain and they're going, can't you feel my pain? Can't you feel it? Don't you care? I'm hurting. God wants to bring this divine collision where he goes, I care. You know, I'm I'm here. And I, I think we've got to have this reset of, as a nation. The Lord told me in the beginning of COVID, he said, if you will take away pointing the finger, but saying somebody's got to blame, you're going to pay and you are to blame. No, let's work together. Okay. Mm. Only together can we fix this. It's A lot of times we think somebody's got to be the bad guy. That's not the way it works because really we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no good guys. But when we come to Jesus, you know, he is our peacemaker, our leveler. You know, I think the picture of what you're giving is so profound, Mama Cindy. And I felt like the Lord gave me a picture. You know, some would look at Christianity in the natural and think that this could be a dark time for us. Many churches are closed. Some that are open, there are limitations, uh, all these different things. So people could say that, hey, this could look like a dark moment. But I actually think it's one of our greatest opportunities. And the picture I got was when Jesus was in the garden, he was being taken captive. You know, the Roman centurions came and grabbed him. And then Peter, like sometimes I feel like the overzealous component of Christianity, picks up a sword and slices off a Roman centurion's ear. The guy's name was Malchus. But what Jesus did is he reached on the ground and put Malchus' ear back on. 
And I feel like overzealous, maybe non-empathetic Christianity has cut off the ear of America where they're not hearing. And what I believe it's going to call for is that a new Jesus prophetic movement is putting the ear back on America to hear our gospel. And I feel like there are many people right now listening. God is reaching down and using uh, his spirit and people to put your ear back on just Mm -hmm. in time for you to get a message of hope, a message of redemption, a message that in the midst of the darkest time, you could experience the greatest light because that's what Jesus is all about, is that God can take a hopeless situation and bring hope, whereas the world takes a hopeful situation and makes it hopeless. Yeah, a renaissance of hope. Ooh, a renaissance of hope. I love yeah, that. I mean, it's like in the Renaissance, things were new and creative. And so, you know, can we be new and creative and find new ways to bring hope mm. to the homeless? Then people are going to want to ha- run to Jesus. They're going to they're gonna come. And so it's like every day, wherever we are walking, did I bring hope to that person? Did I bring value to that person? Mm-hmm. I think I was telling you guys today, I was going around that my daddy, my preacher daddy was, you know, he'd been a gang member in New York and Hell's Kitchen, got radically saved. But he would, we'd go down the street and he'd point to that drunk on the street, said, said, for the grace of God, that's you, Cindy Jacobs, don't you ever judge them. Mm. Don't be judgy, you know, as we say today. And and I, you know, we were looking at these guys, you know, asking for food or whatever today. And I just thought, what if that was me? It's like you can get so hard-hearted. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to stop and pray for yes. the listeners right now. Father, I pray for people yeah. listening who have no hope. Mm. Yes. And on, you're Jesus. just, just as you're listening to this, this is a God collision in your life. I mean, just at this moment, this podcast is for you. You are not without somebody to care for you. Jesus cares for you. I feel as if I was sitting in the room with you and just giving you this hug. I believe love is coming right into your heart, right? That was amazing. So good. So rich. Keep it 100 Tribe. We want to bring you some takeaways that we think will help you. And we feel like what hope does is God uses hope to enable your unables. So we want to give you some hope pointers. Hope pointer number one, hope provides each of us with an insulation against anxiety and despair. Come on. No matter what age you live in, no matter what generation you came up in, you have reason to have those moments of anxiety and those moments of despair, those circumstances of life that seem to teeter out of control. But what happens in those moments is God has given you a reserve tank. Often in our lives, when we find ourselves in situations where we do not know what to do, it is in those moments that hope gives us an insulation, that the anxiety and despair doesn't seem to cut away at who we are in terms of our identity or our emotional reserve. And I found for me, Krista, my greatest growth has come when I reach the end of my resources and I look to God because he becomes that one that gives me hope That's an insulation against anxiety and despair. I love that. Number two, hope stabilizes you in the storm. 
Friends, if you don't have hope, all you see is the storm. But when you have hope, hope gives you an x-ray vision to see through it. And what I love about that is so many times in my life when I have felt like the storm of life is all around me, I have been able to rise above the storm and still see what God has promised, what he has prophesied, what he's declared. And my eyes are still setting on the gaze of his face and the gaze of what he has prophesied over my life. And as I root myself in the hope of God, I don't let the storm overwhelm me. I let his hope infuse me. Number three is hope never allows your trials to have the final say. Mm. Keep it 100 tribe. I want an appeal right now to that fighter inside of you that you have to fight. You're not yeah. going to let the devil have a final say as it pertains to your life or your destiny. And what hope does is hope realizes that it's not going to end with the devil winning. And a scripture passage, my grandmother, she would pray over the 23rd Psalm. And I remember at one point in Psalms 23, where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And I think, what's the darkest place you can ever get? Psalms 23 calls it the valley of the shadow of death. But think about it. In order for there to be a shadow, there had to have first been a light. So even that passage is saying, when you're in a place of death, light is following you. So it's not just the fact that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That's what the world says. But in the kingdom, there's a light following you in that tunnel. So good. All right. Number four, hope is our conviction of God's unlimited solutions. I love this. God is not limited. He is limitless. And even though we can't figure it out, we can't see a way out. God is working in ways we can't even imagine or foresee. Job 4, 5 says integrity of ways yields hope. Meaning when you and I walk in integrity, integrous living gives you the promise that God will come through for you, that you can count on his unlimited solutions. And here's truth. If your hope does not make a difference, then it's not hope that's rooted in God. God's hope always makes a difference. Fifth and final hope pointer is kingdom hope is unique to Christianity. It cannot be received outside of being a child of the most high God. Today in our world, you need to know that there's someone you can trust, someone you can believe in, someone who's consumed with your well-being, someone who's powerful enough and has the resources to secure you in the midst of an insecure world. His name is Jesus. And it's so important that if you have a relationship with God, you need to be reminded as a son and a daughter, it's your birthright to be children of hope. And if you do not know the Lord, right now you can ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. And when you do, he gives you a hope you can't get any other place. And I love Psalms 34, 19 that says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous for the Lord delivers them out of them all. That if you know you're righteous, you know your deliverance will come. To the Keep It 100 tribe, thanks so much for tuning in. We love being with you every week. Continue to make sure and subscribe so you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop every single Tuesday. Rate, review, and refer to your friends because we want more people impacted for Jesus. Check us out at seananchrisasmith.com during the week. And of course, find us on Facebook at Sean and Chris Smith Ministries. Make sure you tune in next week as we talk about supernatural resiliency, the art of bouncing back. I'm so excited about this topic because as you and I both know, sometimes life can knock you down and many people don't seem to get back up or even fully recover. But next week, we're going to give you some secrets on how to get your bounce back.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.